You get rid of all the pretense and, you know, the title and the money and the big house and all that. And you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what do I want? What do I really want out of my life? We've only got one life to live. So don't you want to spend it doing something worthwhile? I, I'm very pleased to see corporations all over the world are shifting to authentic leaders and moving away from the power-based command and control type leaders. And there are still some jerks out there, some toxic environments, but we've seen the price people pay. Because today, when people leave organizations, they don't leave companies, they leave bad managers. And so I want to see leaders at all levels. We're not just talking about the CEOs, talking about people at all levels. From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, it's my distinct pleasure to welcome Bill George. You just heard him mention authentic leadership, the theme of his best-selling book, True North. And we're going to hear a lot more about that today. As many of you may already know, Bill is the former chairman and CEO of medical device company Medtronic, and he's the author of four best-selling books on leadership. Bill is currently an executive fellow at Harvard Business School, where he's taught leadership since 2004. He currently serves on the boards of Goldman Sachs and the Mayo Clinic, and Bill is also a trustee of the World Economic Forum. Bill recently published a new edition of True North that focuses on emerging leaders. He joined us for a fireside chat with Carolyn Dewar, a senior partner in our San Francisco office who co-leads our CEO excellence practice and is co-author of last year's New York Times bestseller, CEO Excellence. I had the pleasure of moderating and sharing questions from the audience with both Bill and Carolyn. What follows is an edited version of that recording. Now, here's Carolyn. Bill, I am so looking forward to our conversation today, and I have been. I know you and I had a chance to meet and get to know each other a little bit a year or so ago when we were interviewing you with your CEO hat on from your you know, incredible run as CEO of, of Medtronic for the CEO Excellence book. It's really fun to have the tables turned today and to hear about your new book, one, one of many. Um, I have it here with me, True North, the Emerging Leaders Edition. So welcome. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Carolyn, it's great to be back with you. Congratulations on the success of CEO Excellence. I feel like we're on parallel paths, intersecting from time to time, trying to uh, help develop better leaders out there throughout the world. Absolutely. The world needs good leaders right now. Absolutely. And I think in that we are, we are definitely travelers on the same path. I know you wrote sort of the iconic first edition of True North back maybe a decade ago. Tell us a little bit about that book, which has become such a classic in leadership. And why now? Why write the Emerging Leaders Edition? Well, we interviewed now a total of 220 leaders, great organizations, mostly from business, but a lot of nonprofits, medical leaders and others. And we learned that what's really important to people are their life stories, their crucibles, and to help them understand who they are. And we find that people have to understand who they are before they can go out into the world and try to make a difference through either their profession, their career, or their passions. And this is extremely important, I believe, because the media and everyone is pushing people to say what you are, where you went to school, what your title is, and all these things, which tends to push us in the wrong direction towards money, fame, and power, rather than looking for careers of opportunities where we can really have an impact on people and make their lives better. So the idea of true north is knowing who you are and the reason we wrote the Emerging Leader Edition is because it's a, a, virtually an all-new book. The title True North is held over because it uh, it reached a lot of people. But 
we we're going through a massive generation change in leadership right now from the baby boomers who have been in charge for 30 years to a new generation of Gen Xers, millennials and Gen Z that represent really the future. And this is a book is a clarion call to them to step up and lead authentically and to make a significant contribution with a deep sense of purpose. Absolutely. And when you think about that shift in leadership, obviously, part of it is just demographics, right? And But why do you think they need to lead differently? Is it the external environment? Because we've had a focus on uh, in the past on uh, CEO charisma and person at the top, and it's led to command and control leadership. But more significantly, I think leaders today really do want to make a difference. And we need a different kind of leader to lead us forward in doing that. And I believe that the younger generation are ready to do that. We've also had an extreme focus on shareholder value to a fault, where it's brought down a lot of great companies. And I think what the real important focus here is in saying, how am I going to make a difference in the world? And I'm going to go in the world, follow my purpose, and align with a company where we can have a significant impact in making people's lives better. And that's we need leaders to step up right now because let's face it, we've got a lot of problems. And I think, Caroline, the other thing that's driving it is younger leaders have been raised in an area of crisis. And I've never seen in my entire lifetime the multiple intersecting crises we have. It started with COVID and today we have a huge post-COVID psychological impact. Well-being is a huge issue. But supply chain shortage, we have 11 million jobs unfilled, we have a recession pending, and the uh, Russian war in Ukraine has driven up inflation to levels we haven't seen for 40 years. And this is making everyone extremely uncomfortable. So we need a new leader to step in and address these issues. Absolutely. Maybe if I pick up on that one for a second, maybe a little controversial. I've certainly hear, you know, I hear lots of folks talk the way you do. I also have heard some conversations of, you know, the pendulum swung too far one way on purpose and employees get to define how they work and all of these things. And, you know, maybe as, as belts tighten, we're going to see a swing back and we'll, we'll be able to get back to the way it was. I think you'll find, at least I do on my social media, most of these are older leaders that mm-hmm. uh, open to go back. And uh, honestly, I don't think so. I think we're just getting to where we need to be. Yes, there are uh, some t- things that need to change. I hear these phrases, Caroline, like quiet quitting. This has got to be one of the worst ideas I've ever heard, that I'm just going to do the minimum amount possible not to get fired and uh, and make sure that no one sees me and I'll work remotely and never come in uh, to an office again. This is not going to fly, and it drains your soul. Yeah. We are human beings. We want to be together. We want to be active in the workplace. We want to be stimulated. We want to create innovation and exchange and really build things that really matter. But today's leaders want to work for a sense of purpose. The reason there's been this great resignation, Carolyn, is because in their organization, they don't feel a sense of purpose. Making money for them, for the shareholder, is not a, not a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. Saving lives, restoring people to full life and health, as Medtronic did, addressing climate change, trying to create an inclusive work environment. Those are all valid. They're trying to offset income inequality. These are valid purposes. There are many more. But I think today's younger people want to work for a sense of purpose. They don't want to just work their whole lives to say, uh, I work for to get shareholder value up. Not that that's not important. We did an excellent job and companies are doing very well at that. But that's a result of what you do. Yeah, not the motivator. It's the outcome. 
Well, maybe you would start with your Medtronic story a little bit. Can you talk a bit about that journey and how you built purpose both for yourself as a leader in the organization? Well, it took me a while to get to Medtronic, a couple of decades. But uh, I went to Medtronic because there was a, the sense of we're going to restore people to full life. And when I got there, it was a fairly mid-sized company, about $750 million. Now it's $30 billion, $32 billion. But the important thing is not the size. It's that commitment to how we're going to help other people. And our metric, Medtronic, which we used, actually was how many seconds have to go by until another person's restored by a Medtronic product. And when I went there, that number was like 100 seconds. When I left, it was seven seconds. Today, it's two per second. Now, that's a metric that everyone can relate to. They can't relate to 261 a share. But everyone in production, everyone in R&D, everyone that works on the front line serving doctors can relate to that, that sense of we're really helping other people. And that's what united people and brought them together. And that we did have very strong values about service and integrity uh, that came with that mission. I hear you saying this isn't in conflict with shareholder value, right? You went from seven, 700 million to 30 billion. I mean, massive shareholder value creation, but that was the end goal as opposed to what you used to motivate people. It was about helping lives. It's an outcome. Yeah. And so if, think of it this way. If we create great value for our customers, we're going to increase market share. We're going to enter new markets. We're going to expand our business. We have new business models. That's what motivates our people. People on the heart valve line, Medtronic, want to ensure every product is perfect quality because they know human life is at the end. That's what motivates them. And if you put those two things together, we will create greater shareholder value. And then that is the result because our revenue is going to go up, our profits are going to go up, and there'll be money there to invest in future people development and product development, business model development, as well as capital, capital equipment. But if we don't do that, uh, people are going to get demotivated and they're going to uh, turn uh, against what we're doing. So it's that employee motivation to serve customers that's key in every company, every organization. At the beginning, you mentioned this idea of knowing who you are before you go into what you do. When you say who, is that who the company is or who you are as a leader or both? How do we think about who that? Who you are as a human being. Okay. What do you want out of life? And what are the things, your true north is made up of your most deeply held beliefs the values you hold most dear, and the principles you lead by. But then you have to go back and address the challenging times you have. And some people wonder, why, why are we talking about crystals? Why are we talking about difficult times? The reason is, is that's where you get rid of all the pretense and, you know, the title and the money and the big house and all that. And you look at yourself in the mirror and say, what do I want? That's what I had to do when I make the change from Medtronic to Honeywell to say, what do I really want out of my life? We've only got one life to live. So don't you want to spend it doing something worthwhile. I'm very pleased to see corporations all over the world are shifting to authentic leaders and moving away from the power base, command and control type leaders. And there are still some jerks out there, some toxic environments, but we've seen the price people pay because today when people leave organizations, they don't leave companies, they leave bad managers. And so I want to see leaders at all levels. We're not just talking about the CEOs, some of the people at all levels. So you're saying to be a good leader at any level, you need to start with looking at yourself in the mirror. And, I, and you're right. I think a lot of people are doing that right now. And they're using this as a moment of reflection. Any tips and hints for folks who are wondering about that and trying to you know, connect with themselves? How do you do that? Well, I think one good way is something we do for all my courses at Harvard Business School is chart a lifeline. Start with yourself from the day you were born until today. 
and chart a lifeline. Look at the highs and the lows. And what did you learn from that? What were the peaks? Sometimes you'll discover lows that you didn't even remember. It's like being rejected, losing an election, being sick as a child. Your parents went through a divorce. And sometimes we find ourselves repeating those things in our 30s and 40s. Like I lost my job for this reason. And, and so I think that lifeline will give you a lot of clues. And then go back and process the most challenging time you face, because in that you may discover, you will discover what's really important to you. I've seen a lot of people that had childhood illnesses or lost a sibling devote themselves to medicine and healthcare. Uh, I've seen other people come out of what they really learned from being poor and uh, they want to help other people overcome and change income inequality. And I, I think that's where you discover, where are my passions? And that leads you to what we call your North Star. That's the purpose of your leadership. And that's a constant point in the sky. Now, my purpose has been to enable people to reach their full potential. And you might say, well, you've just been doing this in teaching at Harvard. Actually, I started that when I was a freshman in college of touring other people, helping get through calculus at Georgia Tech. Uh, but I carried it on and building an organization throughout my career. I was an organization builder. I was not the genius that invented the defibrillator or anything like that. But I did try to build organizations of great leaders because I realized leadership made the difference. And Bill, as you reflect on your career and where you are now, are there any tips that you'd want to tell your younger self that might have changed your trajectory? Well, I would say don't move so far so fast. I was too eager to get ahead. I went straight through to business school, graduated at age 23. I uh, wanted to become a general manager by the time I was 30. was fortunate enough to achieve that, but why? And I would say don't move so far so fast. That's one thing. The second thing is don't look at size as a criteria. My father had planted this in my brain back when I was nine years old as a boy and said, son, you could lead a major corporation. You know, you'd be surprised sometimes mid-sized companies, smaller companies, startup companies become very major corporations, as we've seen with great organizations like Microsoft and Apple uh, and, and Amazon. And so I, I think I would say, don't worry about size. Just do what you want to do. And it took me 20 years to find the place where I really wanted to do it, where I really felt that was the right culture for me. And then the third thing is find the right culture for you. Find a culture where you fit and you feel you can flourish. Thank you, Bill. The next question is actually for both you and Carolyn. Uh, following up on this notion of a lifeline, are there any universal values relative to your approach in True North around maintaining one's personal health and fulfillment? I do believe that health is important and leaders are like Olympic athletes. You have to be healthy in mind, body, and spirit. So you, in the mind area, you want to keep expanding your mind, be engaged outside of your narrow work environment. You want to keep broadening yourself. Second, with your body, you've got to be in good physical shape. You need to get seven, eight hours sleep a night. That's something we neglected in the past. Now we're starting to realize, and you need to eat healthy and drink, frankly, appropriately. Uh, and then finally, the whole area of spirit. I think it's really important when we talk about that to be guided by a sense of purpose and to build authentic, long-lasting relationship. Because when you go through those down periods, I can tell you those are the people that are there for you when you hit a rough spot. So those are the things you have to do. I've been a meditator for uh, uh, 45 years. I'm not going to tell everyone on this call they should meditate, but you should do something to set all the electronics aside every day for 20 minutes. Think about What's really important? How did I show up today? Did I lead with my values? Did I help other people? Was I there for people that needed me? Did I find fulfillment in my work? Look, not every day is going to be perfect. But when you can ask yourself that question, 
what Dov Simon calls the pause principle. You take that, I call it uh, reflection and introspection. Take that 20 minutes. That's not a long time in your day. I think you'll have a much more fulfilling life and career because it'll guide you to do things that are more fulfilling to you. I used to have students say, you know, I'm just going to spend 10, 12 years making a lot of money and then I'll do what I really want to do. This is nonsense. I've never seen anyone actually do that. So I would say find fulfillment now, find joy, but you don't have to change jobs. You can find it right where you are with the people you work with and the deeper purpose. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, in a way, I I always feel this false division between work and outside of work. One is false, right? For me, there's things that work that are very energizing and very fulfilling. There's some that aren't, right? But there's also things outside of work. I love Bill, where you were going. Where find the things that give you energy and that fulfill you and that are purposeful. And how do you sort of craft your journey and your role in your life to find meaning in what you're doing? Right. And it's not it's it's not a false thing. You can find it where you are if you look for it. Yeah, that's really important, Caroline. And one of the things that's happened, I remember Bob Putnam, my neighbor in Cambridge, wrote a book called Bowling Alone. We've lost a lot of elements of community. The interesting thing today is that the workplace has become the community. And Gallup has found the most significant question to ask is, do I have a best friend at work? So we want to create communities at work. That's so important. It doesn't have to be for 10,000 people. It might be for 10 people in your work group. And it's commuting that sense that I belong here. And we've been talking a lot about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not just about having a diverse workforce. Do I feel like I'm fully included? My opinions are listened to. I'm accepted for who I am. And I feel a sense of belonging. If I feel that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay and I'm going to flourish. And we'll work together to solve problems. You were talking a little bit about you know, finding your true north. You also talk a lot about authentic leadership. What is that? How does it connect to your true north? Well, it, being an authentic leader is being who you are. And that that's why I say you have to figure out who you are. Most of us say we do, but we don't necessarily have that self-awareness to figure out who are we really. I remember Sacha Nadell at, at Microsoft, who I would say is as fine a leader as anyone in the world today, you know, discovered that when his son Zane had cerebral palsy and he learned about the value of empathy and caring and compassion. And then he brought this into Microsoft and used that to transform a culture, which was a group of know-it-alls to a group of, as he calls it, learn-it-alls, people that cared about learning and helping other people. The other thing you need to do, Caroline, is you need to get honest feedback from people in your life that will tell you when you're going off track. And that keeps you authentic. And I can tell you, in the latter days of Honeywell, I was anything but authentic. I'm not blaming Honeywell. I was grabbing for a brass ring and being CEO instead of being what I really wanted to be. And uh, yeah, I knew how to make money for the company, but that wasn't what really excited me. That's not, not my legacy I want to put on my tombstone. And so I think that's how you stay authentic. You need those truth tellers. I just came this morning for my men's group. My men's group was a meeting for 45 years. Two of the people had significant health problems, so they were coming in on Zoom. The other four of us were together. But we talked about really important issues. Where do you find fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness in your life? That's what we talked about this morning. Having a group of people like that in your life, and it will help you. They helped me when I made the call to go to a much smaller company called Medtronic at the time. And so I think finding that group in your life and having people in the workplace would say, Bill, how do you think you did in that meeting day? And I thought, I thought, well, things went great. I can tell you. My head of human resources said, Bill, three people were really angry at you because you drove the decision. You didn't listen to other people. You didn't really care what they had to say. 
And I think leadership is about that. Yeah, you need to be willing to hear those voices and actually create the environment where those are encouraged right, and mm-hmm. welcomed. I'm a bit curious if we think about kind of the generational shift you were talking about. You you co-wrote this book with your co-author, Zach Clayton. Right? Can you tell us a little bit about Zach, how you partnered together and kind of what he brought to the party? Yeah, I really couldn't have written the book uh, without Zach. Zach is a 37-year-old millennial. I first met him when he just... I met him at Harvard Business School, but then we first started working together in 2009 when he graduated and he did all my social media. He really taught me about how millennials are thinking, what they're feeling today. So I had a much clearer understanding of that generation, plus my own sons who are Gen Xers and understanding the Gen X generation, which there isn't really that much different. And and Zach and I talked an awful lot about key issues in this. And one of the things we fell upon, Carolyn, is how do you describe the way people lead? And we decided that leadership has shifted from what I would call the director model of telling people what to do, uh, delegating them, then sitting back and evaluating them and seeing how they do to much more of the coaching model. And if you think about a great coach, a lot of people, executives have coaches today. Why shouldn't every leader be a coach? And that really starts It's an acronym that starts with caring about your people. And then people will not follow you unless they know you care about them. Second, uh, to organize them in what we call our sweet spot. Your sweet spot is that place where you're using your strengths and you're highly motivated. And if we can do that, then we bring them into alignment around purpose and values. And then fourth, you challenge them. This is not soft. Any good coach will challenge you. Carolyn, you're a fantastic person. You have incredible strengths. But here's a way you're neither not being at your best game this year, what's going on, or here's a way you could step it up to the next level. Let's help you take on a higher level, become a leader of leaders. And then finally, the last letter in the acronym is help. Let's get out and help people work with them. We found in a study we did at Harvard that CEOs spend 72% of their time in meetings and only 5% with their employees and only 3% with their customers. This is a disaster. To me, you know, we should be out with our employees and customers. That's how I tried to do it at Medtronic well over half my time. I had a goal of 60% but it's certainly not that little. And I think that today, people, you need to work with people, help them solve problems or say, look, I can't be the problem solver, but we've got some great people in Japan. We've got some other people in Switzerland can help you solve this problem. Let's bring them together. I love it. I mean, given this tag team with you and Zach, you know, any, any myth busting in terms of what baby boomers might think of younger generations or what younger generations are assuming about baby boomers? Anything you learned that we want to bust? Yeah, the, the method that Zach and I helped bust, he founded his own company. He's got about 300 people, uh, fast-growing entrepreneurial company. But is that uh, the millennials uh, don't care. They just want to leave. Uh, they're slackers. And I've heard that from a lot of baby boomers. And I can tell you uh, that's not true. I say the reason they're leaving your company is they don't feel a sense of purpose. So give them that sense of purpose so they'll go somewhere else where they can find it. Maybe we take stories. I know you interviewed, you've interviewed a couple of hundred CEOs and leaders over time. What about some of the emerging leaders that, that you're excited about? Um, any stories in terms of what they're doing or, or ways that we could get inspiration? Well, one of the great emerging leaders uh, during COVID was Corey Berry. Who oh, had taken over Hugh Berry Jolie. And Hope yeah. Barry, Hugh Berry done a spectacular job. One of his sponsors, uh, Layoffs of the Last Resort. And all of a sudden, COVID comes along. Corey's been there. She's 44 years old. Yeah, I've had a chance to meet her. She's phenomenal. And she is. But I can tell you, she had to lead a whole different way because the game had changed and she had to adapt quickly. 
And they pulled people together and said, we're not going to focus on short-term earnings. We are going to focus on creating long-term value, but we're going to have to make some tough decisions here. They, she had to close a thousand stores and lay off 52,000 people furlough. Mm-hmm. And some of them got a lot of them got callback stores opened a few months later, but she had to make that tough call and she stalled it off so they could tie into the government uh, uh, subsidies. But she pulled her team together and she delegated the whole decision about how the stores operated, whether they're more warehouses, or anything else to her stores managers. And that worked really well, but it was the courage she showed to do things differently. Another person I met is the CEO of ArcelorMittal, Adithia Middle. Adithia is a, a brilliant person, but significantly, he's really focused on, he runs the largest steel company in the world, and yet he's really focused on the future of steel and what it can do, reducing the environmental impacts of steel. So he's spending like $10 billion in his steel plants to reduce the environmental impact, doing some breakthrough things in uh, you know carbon sequestration and looking at the future, maybe hydrogen, new fuels. So here's a person really committed to climate change. He's not just sitting back and resting on their laurels and looking backward. He's looking forward to how we're going to build steel. And it's important because the world needs steel. That, that's a, a, a second example I'd start. Uh, a third, Kabir Bardi. Kabir's 34. He found a company called OneTrust at uh, Security, and it's based in Atlanta. He was so driven as an entrepreneur that he even went to London uh, on American Thanksgiving because he wanted to get that extra day of work in. And uh, he got there. He got very sick and he had tremendous pain. He went to the hospital. They said, it's probably cancer. They said, stay in the hospital. He said, no, I'm going to Belgium. He had it even worse there. He finally got back home, spent two months in the Mayo Clinic, had 300 tests. And uh, you know what the real diagnosis was? He had extreme stress because he had driven too hard. He said, now he's changed his lifestyle. He's a far better leader because he delegates more to people and uh, is really focused on the big picture, not trying to do all the details, not trying to serve every customer himself. He's built a much more successful organization as a result. He had once time as the fastest growing company in the Inc. 5000. So here's a leader, a third leader that really is making a difference. I can name many more, but Absolutely. Well, that links to the question that we had from the group about wellness and just the importance of taking care of yourself, right? Yeah, and you learned that lesson the harder. Fortunately, he learned it early enough to make the change and uh, and make sure he was spending more time with his own family and nurturing the leaders in his own organization. So we've talked a fair bit about kind of grounding yourself in your sense of why and purpose, your true north, being authentic in the workplace and, and what that can do for your teams and your organizations. If we zoom way out for a second, you know, there's been a lot of conversation you know, over the last few years about the role that leaders should play and companies should play even broadly in society to take a stand and get involved in kind of broader issues. You know, at least that's one of the top questions I'm getting from leaders. How do you how do you know what to get involved in, what not to? Do you need to make statements on things or not? How do you think about that in terms of being an authentic leader that knows their sense of, of why? I've been responsible for leading our new CEO program at Harvard Business School. Number one question leaders ask, when should I speak out on these public issues? I really don't want to get involved because I feel like I'm going to get caught in the political. But what we talk about is it really comes down, what are the mission and values of your company? And if you speak out on those issues that are really important to your company, I think you'll be fine. At Medtronic, you have to speak out on healthcare. Here in Minneapolis, every CEO had to take a stand and actually have a plan to do something after George Floyd was murdered because it ripped the bandage off. And we realized that a lot of our 
uh, black employees, a lot of BIPOC employees were not flourishing. And so that really caused every CEO in the Minneapolis area to come forward, not just with statements about supporting their black and BIPOC employees, but really have a plan to do something. And that became very important to, to the company. So I think sometimes people draw the wrong lessons of these things. You take a stand on behalf of your people, say your LGBTQ employees. They need to know you care about them today because today employees have agency. So I think it's important for CEOs to let everyone know that they really care about people and actually take a stand on important issues. Again, you can't take a stand on everything or then you stand for nothing. What should I do? I mean, what I'm hearing in that and the examples you gave, too, is that being an authentic leader doesn't mean you're shying away from tough decisions. You still might need to be Corey at Best Buy. You might need to make these tough calls. Part of authenticity is is being transparent on the good and the tough. Right. You know, and we make these calls, Carolyn, and we call everyone together and say, here's why we're doing it. And people will accept that. They will understand that. And they also remember, Carolyn, what do you do in a crisis? Did you step up or did you duck? And uh, I remember, you know, some very tragic things. People didn't step up in a crisis and weren't out in front. And it's very sad because it's led to, to career changes at uh, great companies. And uh, other CEOs have come in to restore those companies as great companies. Mm. Thank you. Um, I've got a few more questions from the audience that I'd love to share. The first one is, what recommendations do you have on how to influence the culture when you're not the CEO? Do you just focus on building examples by doing it for your nuclear team or, and the ones you collaborate with? I hear this from a lot of people, a lot of mid-level managers that come to my, our classes. And many of them have bosses who are managing in the old school, the old style, and that creates real friction. So what I say am is keep your head down, create the culture you want in your team, create that culture within your work group, within your geography, within your place of business. And then all the top management see what it's doing and the impact it's having. What are the results? As Caroline said, look at the outcomes. The outcomes from this group are really good, whether it's productivity or it's greater revenues, uh, you know, greater profitability, whatever it is, but that's an outcome measure. Let them see what you're doing. And then say, here's what we're doing in our culture to inspire the people. Please go and talk to the people on the front lines and they'll tell you. Because I think for far too long, we've looked at the top to solve problems. You know, the people doing the work in companies are frontliners. And I've got an article coming out in Harvard Business Review talking about we need to look at the organization, putting the frontline people on top. They're the ones serving customers. They're the ones you see on an airplane when you go into a restaurant, when you check into a hotel. It's the frontline people. So how do we think differently about our organization? But do it within your work group. Don't wait for say, oh, boss, I need you to change. No, do it right where you are. Bloom where you're planted. And you have an opportunity to stand out. And people will notice. People the top CEOs I know are all looking for people like you who are willing to change the culture and get results. Thanks so much, Bill. Our next question is from someone who's been in their organization for a really long time, and now they're finding that their culture is changing in a way that they don't like and where maybe they're not no longer a fit. Would you recommend that they try to change it from within or that they just look elsewhere? Has the culture changed because your business has changed? You need to change the culture to reflect your changing business? and the changing workforce, or has the culture changed because you get someone that's driven the wrong way? Uh, we saw this happen to MD Anderson, the world's greatest cancer uh, institute. John Mendelson built it, then a new CEO came in, took the culture the wrong way, but frankly, he didn't last. And uh, he was running a lot of the doctors out. Dr. Peter Pisters came back to MD Anderson from Toronto General and totally has transformed it. 
So maybe you'll see that leadership change. I had a leader that was going to leave a great company. And he said, my manager is driving me into the ground. I can't stand it. And I said, well, what can you do? That? And he came back about three weeks later. I said, there are other good jobs in your company. Look elsewhere inside the same company. He came back three weeks later. He said, well, uh, my manager just got fired. So uh, for right reason. So don't jump too quickly. But think about that by, by economy. Maybe you need to change for the culture because it's changed for good reasons. Or maybe need to uh, push back uh, against some of those changes that are going the wrong way and be that that calm, steady voice that stands for the right thing. Here's what this company stands for. I think companies that lose their roots of what their historical roots, the credo, those are your roots of what the company comes from. That's where you excel and you want to keep that truth there. And that's what I think is really important is that you stay with it and uh, do everything you can to create the cultural change inside. But you may have to change yourself. A lot of people want everyone else to change. Sometimes they have to change themselves and adapt. Today, back to what we were talking about earlier with Caroline, with all the crises we have, the, one of the keys to being an authentic leader is being very adaptable. You have to adapt to the constant changes. You want to keep your vision in mind. You want to know where you're going. The strategy is going to get you. But you're going to have to adapt your tactics all the time because the winds are buffeting your, your sailboat out there. And you need to, uh, to have that adaptability to changing conditions. If you don't, you may be going the wrong way. So um, one other question I'd love to share, it's related to leadership and innovation. And as you think about the themes in your book, are there any that speak to the notion of how you continue to drive innovation? Because sometimes that can be seen as shaking up the status quo and people can be resistant to that. So do you have any tips or tricks on how to not be held back as an emerging leader if you want to be innovative? Good, great question. I would say that... Uh, Innovation is key in a company like Medtronic. That's what made the company go was innovation. It doesn't have to be your products. Uh, Omar Ashrock at Medtronic adapted its business model in India, China to get into developing markets. Corey Berry adapted its business model at Best Buy to making their showrooms more, more warehouses so you could deliver the product. You had to have that adaptability. Organizations, as they grow, unfortunately, tend to become more bureaucratic and less innovative. And I think it's the CEO's job to go out and bust up that uh, bureaucracy, if you will. And one of the ways you do is working directly with the innovators. At Medtronic, we had our mainstream businesses, but we also had a second business over here under our vice chairman, which were all our new ventures. And that's where the creative ideas were coming. And I would meet with these ventures regularly, wander into the labs, not even a formal meeting. Someone might have a basketball hoop up and run it out of some gym space, but they came in with the breakthrough ideas. And a lot of times that put tension in the organization. But I felt like I had to support the innovators because they could easily be crushed by the mainstream organization. The other thing, do is when you get down with the front lines, you find out what's going wrong. Remember Richard Davis, who was arguably the, the finest commercial banker of his day running U.S. Bank Corp. He said, when I go, to, I go out to the branches all the time and meet with the tellers. And that's who I talk to. I don't even talk to the branch manager. I learn everything I need to know of the tellers. But he had that personal touch of really listening. He said, that's where I learned what to do. Hubert Jolie, when he went to Best Buy and Transformer, he spent his first week not in the headquarters where they had very severe financial. He spent his week in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And he just he put on a badge, a, a blue shirt, and it said CEO in training. He met with customers. He met with employees. He went out for dinner with some of the managers. He said, I learned everything I needed to know in that first week about what our problems were. And I was able to come up with all the ideas from our own employees about the transformation we needed to have. Uh, to restore this great company. And then he did. 
And so I think that listening to your people, that's why I think it's so important to be out with the first line people, with all your people. They want to have a a feel for you, Dan. Millennials, one thing I learned when Carolyn asked that question is millennials want to know who you are. Hey, what matters to you? Do you have a family? You know, are you a human being? I want to have a family. You know, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, you know? I mean, I guess stepping back, what what haven't we talked about? As you think about this whole idea of true north and emerging leaders, what do you want to make sure that people take away? Maybe if you're an older generation leader or a brand new leader, maybe the advice is different. What, what do you hope people take away? We need to develop moral leaders that are authentic, that have compassion for other people, that are driven for their sense of purpose, and have the moral courage to do the right thing. We have business schools I've been critical of for training too many managers and not enough leaders that are committed, not even talking about the values that are really important. We need to talk about what's really important in life and can you be that moral leader? And do you have courage? We haven't talked about courage. You have the courage to do the right thing. My best example of that is Ken Frazier. Ken was CEO of Murr. And he, first of all, when he got the job, he had the courage to say, if we continue on our guidance to Wall Street, we're going to continue cutting R&D and we will never be successful. We're basically a, a sci- medical science-based company. And he abandoned the Wall Street governance and he focused on research and he came up with the best-selling drug in the world. But beyond that, when he was confronted with what happened in Charlottesville and he was a member of the president's council, he made the bold decision not just to resign, which he could have easily, quietly. He went public with a statement that said America's leaders must be committed to uh our basic principles that all people are created equal, regardless of their race, religion, gender, or sexual identity. And I would add my personally national origin to that. And then he said, we must uphold those values. And as a matter of personal conscience and as as CEO of Merck, so he put Merck on the line, I feel a need to make a bold statement and that his statement is resigning. Now then an amazing event occurred after that never happened in American history. 43 CEOs of all of America's largest companies followed him out the door. And so my message to everyone here, it's easy to be the follower that follows the person with courage out the door. But uh, who's going to have the moral courage to say, we've got to do the right thing? And I think that is really critical that people do that. So uh, my last chapter in my book is all about moral courage and how you have that moral compass That's your true north that keeps you in line so you don't get off track of that. Bill, wake up, look at yourself in the mirror and realize you're going the wrong way. And I had a wife, a spouse, and Penny that would tell me that. So I listened to her. Thank you, Bill. Um, So we've got one other question that speaks to the point that you just made, Bill, about how do you have the courage to do the right thing? And there's been a lot of talk of mass layoffs at large tech companies and would just love your perspective on how as a, a leader, you want the organization to continue and flourish, but in some cases, leaders are trying to find that balance between helping keep the company alive and also doing right by your people. So what, what advice do you have there? Well, Sean, I think it gets back to uh, how you lead the company. Medtronic grew for over a 20-year period, I think 18% compounded uh, per year. And But I always was, you know, people didn't love me because I wouldn't hire a lot in good periods. 
because I always say, can we protect this person through a recession if things, and I think the tech companies got over eager and they're hiring, they hired way too many people. A lot of people have never even been into their companies. I've talked to people that work for a major tech company, have not been even into the office for the three years they've worked there. So they really are not part of the culture. And I think the tech companies move too fast, particularly the social media companies. I'm thinking of them more than say an Apple or someone like that. And I think they, they hired too fast and now they're gonna be forced to lay off. And uh, I think it's gonna have cost a real pall over the company. And so we have to play it cautiously. And I think one thing CEOs looking at scenarios, scenario planning, let's not just look at a point, say we're gonna make 391 a share. No, no, let's look at what could go wrong. How bad could it be? How good it could it be? What's the middle road? And then do we have the adaptability to move quickly between those things? I think that's key. And so keeping that flexibility, that adaptability to changing conditions, you have to have that right now because that's what leading a crisis is all about. You stay true to your values and your purpose. You don't deviate from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't think this period of volatility is going to change or go away, whether it's crisis or just other change. You know, amidst all of that volatility, it does feel like your personal sense of purpose and why in True North and extending that then to what's our company's purpose and why in True North seems like a touchstone that you can come back to as you're navigating those things. And it's it's real work to do there. I mean, if people wanted to start on some of that hard work themselves, what would be something they could do today or tomorrow to, to start on that hard work of being an authentic True North leader? I would work through some of the exercises and then I'd form a small group. I mentioned my men's group. We also have a couples group. Form a small group of people to work these things through because you don't fully understand your life story until you tell it to other people. This is hard work. This is not easy because you have to be very open and authentic and it requires a certain vulnerability. I had a lot of blind spots until people like my spouse and my men's group pointed those out to me. And I think it's important to be really open and sharing. And so I think that's what I would encourage people to do is uh, get, get pick up a copy of what's called the True North Field Book, Emerging Leaders Field Book, that goes with it. And I think that gives you an opportunity to do this. So do this in parallel with your work and do it with the the loved ones in your life, your best friends and your spouse or significant other or partner. That's really important to do these things because it does require that introspection. There's no sense just plowing ahead and thinking, I can work a hundred hours a week and get where I want to go. No, you actually can't. You need to reflect on what is my purpose and how do I want to lead? And you're right, with holidays in many parts of the world, it's a perfect time, right? People set New Year's resolutions. You know, these are the kinds of questions to be to be asking yourself and reflecting on, right? As you think about who, who do you want to be in this era, right, as you're coming forward as a leader? At bingo, absolutely. Thank you. Super. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, John and Carolyn. Thank you for a stimulating discussion. Super. Thanks so much. Always such a delight to talk to you. Thank you to all our listeners for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com, or you can share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player. Thank you to all our listeners who've already reached out and rated and reviewed our podcast. We really appreciate all of your comments and feedback. Please keep them coming. If you'd like to listen to additional episodes, we encourage you to subscribe on your podcast player where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. You can also visit our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page at mckinsey.com ITSR, which includes written transcripts of more than 120 past episodes. 
Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights on strategy and corporate finance, you can sign up on our Practice Insights page on mckinsey.com SCF, follow us on Twitter at MCKStrategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.